welcome to the Christian Education Podcast. My name is Paul Matthews, and today I'm bringing you a discussion I had with Tim Coy, who was recently a guest speaker at a statewide Christian education conference. Broadly speaking, he came to talk to us about how schools could build community well. What steps could we take so that our teachers and parents and leadership and the students themselves experience true Christian community, really rich fellowship with one another? While we could have talked about a great many things, I wanted to talk to Tim about how involving parents in the life of the school presents a huge opportunity for community growth and great student outcomes too. But it's not always easy, is it? Parents can sometimes feel intimidated going into an environment with trained professionals. But it can be hard for the teachers too, who can at times feel as though they're under the critical eye of a parent in the classroom. Tim encourages us, however, that if well navigated, meaningful parent involvement in the life of the school will have cascading positive effects throughout the community. And if you make it all the way to the end, we even discuss some useful tips for schools looking to fundraise. Now that's a touchy issue at times, but Tim draws upon decades of community relations and education experience to speak to that issue with some real wisdom. Now if you're listening to this as a student, well, I'd encourage you to talk to your parents about how they're involved with your school community. And if they aren't, perhaps you can respectfully nudge them in that direction. If you're listening to this as a parent and you have been involved in the life of your school, well, well done. The Lord smiles upon that kind of work. And if you haven't been as involved, be encouraged that it's never too late to start. And if you're a teacher, this might be the encouragement you need to proactively invite parents into your classroom and community. If you want to find out more about Tim Coy, you can go to his website, endeavourcrd.com.au. And as always, know that before we hit record, Tim and I prayed for you, the listener, that you might be edified and built up by this discussion and that as a result of listening, you might be better equipped to spread the kingdom of God through Christian education. Well, Tim Coy, welcome to the Christian Education Podcast. Thanks, Paul. Great being with you. We're recording during the Christian Education National Statewide Conference for Tasmania. I was wondering if you could give us a bit of a, a backstory as to your journey in Christian education. My journey started uh, when our first child um, started school at a little uh, Christian school called Heritage Christian School in Port Macquarie. It was a little school then, it's a lot bigger now, I believe. Uh, Hugh started school and very soon after that, the vision and place at which Christian education um, fitted into a missing piece in the jigsaw of a worldview I was growing as a young dad um, became evident. Uh, we were really, I was really blessed, our family was really blessed that former head of uh, CEN, Ken Dickens, was the principal of the school at the time. So anyone who knows Ken would know that that was a pretty rich environment for a young family to come into. And uh, the role of Christian education, its holistic approach, um, what it wanted to do uh, with children, uh, 
what it caused uh, parents uh, to think and have to think through, I just found to be wonderfully challenging. And uh, in many ways, I couldn't get enough of it. So very soon after I, I think, I think I was only there for 12, 18 months and I was on the board. And then a couple of years after that, I was board chair there for a number of years. And it just seemed to really fit for me. After a few years of that and being involved in community relations work within the school, uh, Tyndale Christian School in Blacktown advertised for a community relations officer after a leader from Canada had been out in, I think, 1995, he'd been out, Henry Contan, had been out to Australia um, encouraging people that they should think of uh, this role of community relations officers. And so Henry, who I became good mates with afterwards in another time, he flew back to Canada and left this school inspired that they should get a community relations officer. Well, I read the job description for it and uh, said to my wife, I think we might need to move to Sydney. Now, we were living in Port Macquarie, which has supposedly got one of the best, uh, the best uh, environments, climates in Australia. And we sort of looked at each other and, well, we talked about it and uh, we thought, yep, look, I'll apply for the job. In many ways, not really thinking I'd get it because my experience was enthusiasm and a small amount of uh, experience at the school. And uh, yeah, history was, I got it. I worked at Tyndale for 10 years. And interestingly, uh, the two people that sort of brought me into Christian education in many ways, um, Ken Dickens and Henry, were the ones who tapped me on the shoulder and said, it's time you go and do some consulting. It's time you um, um, got out of Tyndale and started doing this work a bit broader and helping other schools to do it, which I was very flattered. Um, uh, saying that now, it all seems a little bit Hard to believe they would say it to me, but they did, and I did, and um, I started the company Endeavour, and I've been working in Christian schools more broadly, both here and in Canada, um, mainly in Australia. I don't want to, I don't want to over, overuse the word Canada, um, mainly in Australia, but in really all around Australia for the last um, close to 14 years running Endeavour. So your, your niche, Tim, your area of expertise is to do with community relations for the Christian school. And that's really interesting because oftentimes when schools talk about communities, well, you, you will hear that all the time. Often schools will be on about communities. In fact, uh, so, so will churches, so will footy groups. And what you often have there is a thin veneer on the word community, but they actually don't manage to... Uh, import the contents of community. So it'll, it'll wake, make its way into the nomenclature, into the, into the language of a school, but we can often shy away from community. One of the things you've been uh, talking about is the role of parents within a Christian school, how parents have a central, an important, a God-given role to play in education through a school. Um, Reflecting on that as an educator, I was quite convicted during your presentation because it's not, uh, it's not uncommon for teachers to view um, parent interactions with some species of fear. You know, if you've got your parent teachers coming up, you go, oh, crumbs, what am I in for now? 
you see an, uh, an email pop up in your inbox with a parent name and you go, oh boy, you know, do I have to pour myself a nice strong cup of coffee um, to do this? We can, at our worst, perhaps as educators, we can flinch away from parent interactions. What would you say, Tim, uh, is the role of parent engagement within a school in forming a good Christian community? Let me just reflect on that last example you gave about, oh no, uh, the parent email coming up or parent teacher night. I think that happens because for many staff, that's their only interaction. And I, I, I can see that being a challenge um, when it's always the awkward situation, the awkward moment. Um, that family you uh, get a phone call from or you have to make the phone call to and you really do wish you'd had opportunity to meet and understand and know that family in another situation prior. So yes, I think I can understand, identify with staff around their hesitancy around that. I think Christians, teachers and staff, it's not just um, teachers in the school, You've got admin, you've got support, you've got ground staff. They all, they all have a role to play in, in that community. And I think as Christian organisations, when we think about community, we need to remember the word fellowship um, as, a, as some of the key guiding principles around what we're meaning about community. But the role of parents and their place, uh, firstly, I think we have to accept um, passionately in our hearts, that God gives children um, to families and to parents and thereby responsibility um, to those families. Um, that's plan A for our children. Now, there are many other plan Bs, Cs and Ds and the Lord um, works in and around uh, blessing families and children in other pictures. We as Christian staff and school staff have to embrace that deeply that we are in partnership with parents because of um, the parents' role before God. It's something we can't remove because we think they're an annoyance. It's not something we can forget about because it makes our day a little bit longer. It's what God's decided. Um, and so we need to embrace that. And so interacting, engaging with parents so that our only interaction isn't that awkward email or that phone call we have to make, all the parent-teacher nights, is a real key part of it. One of the things you exhorted uh, the teachers within um, our Tasmanian schools to do was actually to proactively contact parents so that exactly what you were saying doesn't happen. If my first interaction with Mrs Jones is telling her that little Billy gave someone a wedgie in the middle of my history class, yes. well, we're going to be off to a rough start. Um, but but uh, calling her at the start, you said, perhaps even to say, look, really glad I've got little Billy in my class today. Very much, Paul. Um, I think it's an excellent use of time. If you can, as a teacher in a Christian school, make the time to at least one phone call to every child that you're teaching. Coordinate that way, coordinate that with other staff members to make sure they're not all getting a you know, phone call from a teacher, their teachers all within a space of two days. But to at least have one, preferably two calls, if only to say it's enjoyable, great to see him, I observed this. 
uh, I observed him doing this in the playground, an act of kindness. To be able to share that with them so that they can see that your heart for their child and your understanding of their child is not simply defined by an awkward situation you have to talk to them about. In the long run, well, one, it, one it's good for relationship, and that has to be our driver. But from a time management point of view, staff that engage in doing this find it to be a good use of time because of what can be um, taken from a, an awkward three-meeting agenda for a defensive parent becomes a one phone call conversation that's dealt with because the parents are approaching what you're ringing them about in that awkward call in a different, in a different framework to um, because of your prior contact. And that's really interesting you say that. I think as Christian teachers whose schedules are flooded with opportunity rich um, chances to do good works, um, Often we hear, look, it's really, it, it's before God, this is a proper action. And we go, yes, yes, sure. It's best for the student. Absolutely. Yes, we want to do that thing. But I wouldn't be lying if I said, if, you, if we also say, hey, it'll save you some time. That's also, that's going to be a pull factor for some teachers. And undoubtedly, you talk to any teacher and they'll say, mate, I've just got no time. And what you're saying is, instead of having um, a reactive approach, Actually, actually being proactive, getting on the horn nice and early will, will, look, you'll be doing your duty before God, you'll be loving your parents as you should, and guess what? There's another bonus there. Uh, you'll be saving yourself some time throughout some of the perhaps busiest times of the school year. Look, the other, there's one other layer, which I didn't actually mention in the talk today, and that is your, the staff member's relationship with the student. Because once that parent gets off the phone, where you've just said, it's been a real joy to have Billy in my class, or I observe Billy uh, without anyone knowing, him doing an act of kindness in the playground, the parents are gonna go and say, I just had Mr. Matthews on the phone, and Billy's gonna shrink at what's gone wrong, and the parents gonna say, he just rang up to tell me how great you are to have in his class. That child walking into the classroom the next day knowing that you have gone to the trouble of supporting who he is and perhaps who he's trying to be in the eyes of his parents is also very significant, significant to, your, to your teaching ability to that child. So that's another layer as well. That's fantastic. So we, we see when we, when we are involved and proactive with parents and seek to foster healthy relationships, well, that's, it's great for the parent it's great for the student, and it's actually helpful for the teacher. Can you speak to how that is actually really helpful for the life of the school as an organism? What can we expect to go horribly right if we get parents involved um, uh, in meaningful, regular ways within the life of our schools? Look, we'll talk in ideals uh, for a moment. I think one of the wonderful things about uh, Christian schools at the moment, one of the great opportunities for them is a place of gathering for people who, um, who let's talk about after COVID, are um, physically and emotionally isolated from other people. Uh, the Christian schools should be an opportunity for people to uh, gather around a central purpose, and that is of their children. Uh, 
and what is good for their children, how they can help with their children. Uh, and so I think it gives opportunity for, for fellowship and, and coming together. Now that can have all sorts of benefits. Uh, certainly in, in the school, um, uh, it's opportunity for, for growth for parents. And I think in an ideal situation, it shouldn't just be a child that leaves a school um, having grown and learnt. I remember a board member at uh, a school I worked at, um, he got up and spoke at the end, of his, uh, the end of his time on the board and he actually thanked the board for how the school, for how it had helped him grow over the last 20 years. Um, and he observed that his life within his church and even his professional life had been enhanced by what the school had done with him and for him in his own personal growth. And I thought it was just a wonderful example of what can happen by someone putting up their hand and saying, I want to be involved. That families, individuals can grow in who they are and what they are um, in the community. I think for a school, I think the resources that are available through our parents are completely untapped. Another example from my time in a school, when I first arrived at the school, as far as volunteering goes, people were only looking at what people's work criteria was. Well, I changed that to what their hobbies were because people are always going to be far more enthusiastic to help and share with their hobby than they are with their, uh, with their, uh, their work. Um, well, this gentleman was an actuary, which I think the joke goes, actuaries say that um, um, actuaries prove that, uh, that accountants aren't boring. I think that's the way the story goes. Well, this actuary, his hobby was designing uh, Japanese gardens. And we had a spot in the school that needed doing up. And so he became the designer for the Japanese garden, which the year 11 and uh, 12 horticulture classes built. And I think it won a local award. And that was simply by asking a very simple question of what's your hobby and engaging that, him into the school. And there are just so many, so many people in our school communities that have so many wonderful gifts and talents and strengths that we just don't tap into. It can be very easy for us as a school community when the parent body is held at arm's length, we just can't see that far. So we think, okay, Tim, you, you, you're talking all about getting parents involved, but we, we got nothing over here. We, we've got some great Japanese garden um, fanatic over in this place in the mainland, but here um, in Tasmania or in rural wherever, we just don't have that. What, what you're saying is actually the closer we get the greater detail, the more vivid the colour is in our parent body. So we might actually have as a school, we might have a wealth of untapped resources in the parent body um, that the closer we get, the more vivid that's going to be. Absolutely. I love hearing when teachers have the opportunity to meet parents and conversation with them over a meal. The conversations after that will be, um, I didn't know, but Mr. Such-and-Such such does this. And I didn't know that Mrs. Such-and-Such such does that. And I was surprised to hear about this and surprised to hear about that. Um, they're always surprised by the experience people have. 
we see them as, as very one-dimensional when they are that parent who, who pays the fees and drops their child off. But once we speak to them and get to know them and to a degree embrace the idea, and it is about embracing this idea, that they may have something to value add to what I'm already doing. And that can be challenging for any professional. The idea that a, a volunteer, a parent, could value add to what I'm delivering. Challenging, but well worthwhile if you're willing to embrace the concept. It's a paradigm shift, isn't it? Because as a teacher, it can be very easy to slip into the space where you're going, I'm the subject matter expert. So me as an example, I teach year 10 history. In year 10 history, that's some of the best stuff, we study World War II. Now, um, if you had a bar graph of um, things people got really enthusiastic about it, I reckon Japanese gardens would be on the lower end. World War II, I mean, you could, you could walk around any room and there'd be a, some sort of 20th century war buff yes. in there. And that's a, that's a difficult space for me sometimes as a teacher because actually, um, you know, I'm talking to parents and they're pulling out some ideas or, or some threads from World War II that I just have no idea about. And I, I suppose what you're saying here, Tim, is that I could approach that in an unhealthy way or say, I'm actually not going to have those conversations with parents because I want to maintain my status in my eyes, in the eyes of the parents, as uh, the big intellectual dog in the room. I'm the big bull elk and I know what's going on. But uh, the, the more I have those conversations, the more I'm actually willing to, to learn and be enthused by parents in the community. Well, not, not only will I learn, um, it'll build relationship with the parents and that'll impact students in my classroom in, in really meaningful ways as well. Look, let's take World War II for example. We are now losing, if not lost, perhaps the, uh, the ability for you to bring in a World War II veteran to be able to speak to your class. But don't forget, I'm showing my age now, uh, my father served in World War II. Um, there are plenty of people of my age, perhaps a bit younger and a bit older, who have heard the first-hand accounts of that. And that can still be rich. Um, to hear from someone speaking of, my father was at El Alamein, or my father was involved in um, the Sandakan death marches, or whatever the case may be. To hear that as someone's father was involved um, still is very powerful. And look, I'd personally encourage you um, to, seek out, um, to seek out sons and daughters of men, who men and women who served in the Second World War and hear their accounts of what their parents told them. I think that can still be rich, even if it's not that, even if it's not um, first-hand accounts. And there is an honouring in that as well, of saying, uh, you, have, you have stories, you have history, you have narratives. Uh, that were very precious, special, and uh, defining for you. Uh, we want, we're more than happy for you, we'd love you to share them with our history class about what your parents had. So I think even when we're once removed, there still be those opportunities. Now, I'm not saying World War II is the only area. I use that just as an example. Now it's, it's funny we're talking about uh, parent involvement in the school. Because I think if we time travel back 55 years and we were sitting here, we're now at Calvin Christian School, um, 
we'd be going, what do you mean parent involvement in the school? You got rocks in your head. Parents just built this school. They just started this association. That's right. They cleaned the bricks. They got the bottles out of the bin. They cashed the bottles in. They, uh, they sold. They did what they had to do to get the land. Uh, yeah, they did it. Back when giants walked the earth that people, people sometimes speak of in establishing Christian schools. So that leads us to understand that if, if we're able to get a, a community where parents, students, teachers are, are working in harmony, all growing together, inputting uh, to one another, well, that would be something we'd actually be not discovering, but recovering. That, that's something that our organisations, uh, our schools, uh, and the larger sort of peak body, Christian Education National, which used to be Parent Controlled Schools Association, that would be something that was actually thriving in the early days of, of our organisation. It was not only thriving, it was the driver. Parent involvement didn't thrive underneath anything then. It was the thing that thrived, that allowed teachers to work and for the school to exist. The parent thriving initiated it all. But now our professionalism has said there's not so, has given the message that perhaps parents aren't quite as necessary anymore, which is really sad. Sorry, just a, a small point, but a big one for me that, um, yeah, parents were thriving then and made it happen. It's that, it's that level of commitment. I, f- I often lament the fact that I hear stories of people 60 years ago, uh, uh, some, some uh, backstory to myself here. If you, if you go into Scott Ambrose's office, you'll see the original Christian Parent Controlled Schools Association, um, the initial covenant, and it's got a whole bunch of names there. My Alma and Alpa both signed their names on that. So it's, I've got, I feel like I've got a personal stake in this. Um, I look at them, they were my age, I'm 30. They were my age when they said, you know what, we're, we're earning 12 pounds a week, two goes to church, two goes to school. You know, all right, so we're gonna wait till my kid's shoes has four holes in it instead of one until we replace it, these sorts of things. I often lament the fact that there's similar people, people my age now, I've got a hard enough job convincing them to send their children to a Christian school, let alone start it, let alone make these huge sacrifices to get it off the ground. Those parents who started those schools and the story you just told of um, two pounds for the church, two pounds for the school, uh, that was repeated all over Australia. And in, in some situations, it wasn't even parents, it was single young men were tapped on the shoulder and said, where's your pound for the Christian school? Because one day you're going to be married and one day you're going to have children and you need a Christian school. Uh, they were tapped on the shoulder by the older members of the congregation and said, do this, you've got to, you've got to make it happen. And the humbling part about that, Paul, or another humbling part about that is... Some of those families that did that, um, their children were too old to go to the Christian school. This was for a Christian school for another generation, perhaps for their grandchildren, but it was for other people's children they were doing this. Their, their deep, deep commitment to a Kuiperian view, um, and what I mean by Kuiperian um, um, is uh, Abraham Kuiper, uh, the idea that that on the whole plane of human existence, there isn't a single square inch that Christ does not say is mine. Um, and therefore, Christian schools should and need to operate in order to teach that. 
I'm sure the Kuiperian view is a lot broader than that, but we'll use it for now, um, was so important to them and, and so much in their mind as being an important part of establishing a, establishing a community and a place within um, the country which they'd come from, which were many cases are Dutch immigrants. Um, so important to have that Christian school, um, whether for their children but, or for others, um, they just felt it had to be done, which was just wonderful, as it has been lost to us. You make a good point saying that it's been lost to us in some way because um, oftentimes it can be quite a squeamish topic to discuss. I find myself um, sort of third, third generation in now and there are plans and, and discussions about, okay, we're going to launch a fundraising um, venture and we'd love to get parents involved in this. And it shows how much, at least in my mind, I've strayed from the DNA because I'm like, crumbs, they're already given their school fees. You know, is there, do, is there more that they need, need to give? And that's, that's me straying from the history of our schools where not, not only were parents contributing, they were doing it joyfully, they were doing it as a service to God and their community, and there were actually many benefits for the community health in the, in the parents contributing financially. What would you say, Tim, would be uh, some, some of the benefits? If schools are thinking about fundraising, yet they're feeling trepidatious. They're feeling like, we don't want to put people offside here. We don't want to damage our relationship with the parent body. What would you say to a school in that position? Well, firstly, you have to know and understand your school community. And not one, fi not one size fits all. And we need to have a, a um, you know, we talked about giants who walk the earth. Uh, different people contribute in different ways. I mentioned people clean bricks. Literally, for some families, that's all they could afford to do. But they came and cleaned bricks. For others, it literally was in some schools. Um, I know a school on the mainland that the way they paid their first teacher for quite a few months in those early years was they went round to the garbage bins and got bottles out and cashed the bottles in. And they paid from week to week. But that was their contribution. It wasn't a matter of all of them digging deeply into their pockets and giving large sums of money. It was different. Some were able to give more than others. But it was about having a broad picture of how people can contribute. Um, so, look, there will be some people in a, in a community who will, fear, um, will have fears of talking to people about um, giving. Now, it really depends on what you're asking them to give to. Um, it has to be worthwhile. It has to have a, a strong purpose around Christian education and benefit for the community and the students. So you have to be able to make the why case of why are we doing this so that people find a pigeonhole in their minds that says, yes, important, I get that. And then it's a matter of having, having a fairly broad um, smorgasbord in some ways of ways that different families can contribute in different ways. So we'd like to give an example of what some of those can be, literally. I've been involved in fundraisers where um, very, successful, very successful auctions have been done, where um, items that have raised the most money were donated by the people um, with least money. For example, uh, one gentleman uh, 
was known as being perhaps the best fisherman in the school. And so a day out fishing with him was auctioned. And where he promised, yes, he would take them to one or two of his secret spots. And so you had people then very generously wanting to go out with this guy out fishing. So his contribution and his value to the, to the exercise was really growing. And because he mightn't have had much disposable income, the school had allowed a way for him to significantly contribute. Um, there, were, um, there were dinners, there was an option for um, students to busk. Um, there was major fundraisers where people um, were asked and told and asked to prayerfully consider giving where people gave large sums of money into the thousands, if not tens of thousands. Um, and they felt they could do that. But it is always very important to make sure that any member of the community giving at whatever level and whatever way is as much a contributor and a supporter and valued as much as anyone else. That is the community raising this together. Uh, that's very important. Yeah, I mean, the story of the widow's might springs to mind here. Uh, Christ commends a woman for throwing in a few pennies. Um, we don't know what people's financial situations uh, entail, and I think that's a fantastic idea. So you're allowing multiple ways for parents to um, raise money, and you're actually you're, you're valuing them all. It's not, it's not like um, if you're able to raise $500, you'll get a signed letter from the principal, if you do uh, $5,000, you'll get dinner at the principal's house. There's something like this. Um, we raised $1,200 um, by one of the teachers in the school who was known to dress up as a clown and just do it really well, um, doing a birthday party. And um, Sarah was going to dress up as a clown and do a children's birthday party. So um, two families got together, had children with a birthday near each other, and they bid $1,200 for Sarah to do that. And Sarah went, sure, it's great. It means um, that no, no matter where your skills lie, no matter what your disposable cash situation is, you've got a way of contributing to the life of your school. Uh, and in closing, Tim, would you say that contributing to the life of your school financially, or with your gifts and abilities, um, will actually in, in, in some way lead to this feedback loop where you've given but you actually, you value the thing that you've given to far more. If we're just consumers, if we leave our families and only give them opportunity to be consumers, pay your school fees and give us your children, thank you very much. If we only give them that opportunity and then lament at their commitment, um, we've only got ourselves to blame. Um, give our parents opportunity to give, sacrificially give, beyond the needs of their own children to sacrificially give in understanding that uh, this school, uh, their school, is, is more than just delivering an education to them within a fairly short time frame. It's about honouring God, it's about growing children broadly. Give them an opportunity to give to that uh, sacrificially and watch your parent commitment go through the roof. Watch your parent recommendation rates go through the roof. That is one thing that schools find. When they do a major fundraising program, they find their enrolments go up because their school families become turbocharged in their enthusiasm for the school. Uh, if you're giving to an organisation sacrificially and you love that organisation, you're going to want every friend you've got 
to be in the same organisation with you. Um, and you don't do it for that reason, but it sure is a great and exciting side, uh, side product of it. Well, look, uh, Tim, it's been fantastic talking with you today. Um, as we close, reminded of the words uh, of the Bishop of Tasmania, the Anglican Bishop of Tasmania, Richard Condy. I myself am a Presbyterian, but I, I ventured out. I went to um, an Anglican conference and I spoke with him. He'd just come down from a church uh, in Melbourne. And I said, I was feeling a bit cheeky, and I said, um, Richard, what's your biggest regret from your ministry in Melbourne? And he said, my biggest regret is that God answered all my prayers. I said, what could you possibly mean by that? And he said, well, I just wish I'd prayed much bigger prayers. And as we think about... Great our, story. Yeah, as, as we think about our relationships with parents, as we think about uh, even things like fundraising, um, it, it's an encouragement for us to um, have a, a big gospel vision for these things and to pray big kingdom-shaped prayers as we seek to see God bless these institutions we're a part of. Well, Tim Coy, thank you so much for your time today. I pray that God blesses you in your work with uh, Endeavour and we have all benefited richly from your time today. Uh, Paul, I want to thank you for your work around these podcasts. Uh, it's a great and exciting idea and, and work you're doing and uh, look forward to hearing many more from you.